Hi, I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you, and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Hi. Welcome to the podcast, Is That Even Legal? I'm your host, Bob Sewell. I'm an attorney at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner, and I practice in probate and trust litigation. But on this podcast, we talk about a lot of things. And today, we're going to answer the question of what's legal with regard to sexual harassment in the workplace. Today, we have a guest, Emma Chalvarez. Emma, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here. Emma is an attorney. Emma practices and you practice in employment law. You work at a company, right? right? And you advise people, advise companies about employment issues. You have spoken on the subject. You have written on the subject. Yes, that's correct. So I uh, used to work with you at a law firm. I'm now a staff attorney for a tech company. Um, which means I do a wide range of things. And I should say from the outset that all of these opinions are my own and not those of my employer or the company I work for. Um, but yes, sexual harassment in the workplace is not only a um, top of mind topic right now. Uh, you know, we have the Harvey Weinstein trial that just happened and the Me Too movement, but it's something that as a young woman in the workplace, I'm very interested in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about it was was because of these situations like Harvey Weinstein, all the stories we hear from the Me Too movement. Harvey Weinstein, just to update people who don't know, Harvey Weinstein was just convicted of a sexual assault and rape. And he says that everything he did was consensual. Correct. But that's part of the problem, right? The, the, the ladies view it that he that he had these interactions with view it differently. And most of these situations where of the stories where people accuse him of misconduct happened out of work-related relationships or at work it, itself or perhaps where he has the auspice, under the auspice of job performance or possibly getting a job or helping develop their careers, these encounters happened. And the ladies that he uh, um, had these encounters with that um, tell a story that's frankly troubling, one with deep personal consequences to them yes. that affected them in more than just that one event. It affected their life. It affected their career. It affected the money they make. It affected their mental health. And it, frankly, it was a little, it, it's tragic, right? It is, and you hit the nail on the head of why this is such a hot topic and will continue to be is that it is an incredibly gray area, both legally and just socially and uh, from a professional standpoint. Um, these are not cut and dry situations. The legal standard is not cut and dry. We have we have defined legal standards of what is sexual harassment that is legally actionable, but these are always going to be very fact-specific instances that really um, 
get down to the nitty gritty of the relationship between the parties, uh, the the underlying circumstances, and ultimately what a reasonable person would think is sexual harassment or not. And we'll get more into that as we talk about the legal ramifications. Yeah, I want to tell you a story, a story that arose out of the Me Too movement. And we know about the story because this guy, Dan Harmon, told the story himself. He went on a podcast and actually multiple different outlets and told essentially the same story. The most essential of the facts are are these. He He was in a position as a manager over a bunch of writers for a particular uh, sitcom. And on his staff was a young female writer. And he began, in his words, crushing on this writer. And he had feelings for her. And he tells, as he tells the story, his feelings began to affect the way he treats her. He treats her very well in the beginning, and he gives her lots of compliments, and he pays lots of attention to her, and he gives her lots of opportunities. And her career is going swimmingly because of the feelings he has. And, you know, at some point, other people begin to notice and she begins to notice and at some point he then after months or weeks or whatever the time period was he confesses his love he professes his deep love and admiration and says he wants to be with her is that even legal can someone do that i laugh because the classic legal answer that nobody likes is it depends but it really does um So we should just take a step back and look at the legal framework of sexual harassment. There are sexual harassment falls generally under federal law, but there are also state laws that protect against sexual harassment in the workplace. But we'll we'll look at the the federal framework because that is sort of what state laws are modeled after. Um, Title VII is going to be the overarching law that prevents discrimination in the workplace. And sexual harassment actually might be surprising to some people is a form of discrimination based on sex. Okay. Um, Now, there are two kinds. We sort of parse it out into two kinds of harassment. There's going to be quid pro quo, and then there's going to be hostile work environment. Quid pro quo is uh, a little bit clearer from a legal standpoint, and that is basically you do this for me, and I will do something for you in return. So an example would be you have sex with me, and I will give you the promotion. Or if you don't have sex with me, I will fire you. Okay. That would be quid pro quo. That one's easy. Right. I mean, generally, I mean, it's easy to say that's uh, that's a violation of the law. That's sexual harassment. That's quid pro quo. It's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Um, And and typically it's tied to a tangible economic disadvantage to the person who is the um, the receiving end of the harassment. Not always, uh, but that's generally the framework. Now, um, under hostile work environment, this is a little bit less clear. This is going to be, it has to be severe or pervasive conduct. These are the legal terms that we use. So it can be both or it can be one or one of the two, but it has to be severe enough or pervasive enough to be legally actionable. It doesn't mean just because something isn't severe or pervasive doesn't mean it's right or that it is conduct that should be acted out upon in the workplace. But if we're talking about purely is this legal or not, those are going to be the sort of uh, benchmarks that courts will use. So... Um, severe enough would be, you know, rape in the workplace, um, blatant, potentially blatant touching that makes somebody really uncomfortable. Um, you know, 
severe, but just as it suggests, is pretty subjective. Now, pervasive could mean maybe it's not as, um, as severe of conduct. So it could be uh, consistent rubbing of somebody's back every time you walk by, <laughs> right? I always refer to that guy as the creepy back rub guy yeah, in the office. We all know him. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and yeah, we laugh, but it's it's true. And it can make people, men or women, feel very uncomfortable in the workplace. Right. And so one time thing may not be super severe enough for a reasonable person to find that legally actionable, but if they do it enough times and they are aware that this is unwanted conduct, that can also be legally actionable. So so those are the things to keep in mind. So let's go back to our example. Sure. The man professes his love. Honey, sugar, baby, I love you. Whatever he says, that that one comment may not be severe. Yeah. It may not be pervasive and therefore it may not be sexual harassment. Is that what you're telling me? Correct. And it's an interesting scenario because professing I love you certainly feels different than groping somebody, right? Right. In the workplace kitchen. Um, but nonetheless, what really matters is how the person on the receiving end, the young woman, the young writer, felt. And the legal standard would be how not just did she feel, but how would a reasonable person in her shoes feel? Okay. So in this case, what's important is that he continually comes on to her, right? What we don't know is, was this welcome behavior or not? Right. I mean, I, I don't think in a story that he says he continually comes on to her. Um, but I want to push you on, mm -hmm. on this a little bit, a little bit sure. further and, and take it out of the Dan Harmon story for a minute. But and just more general, let's say any sort of manager, any sort of boss says this, isn't the power dynamic the issue? Uh, isn't that, I mean, we, we don't go to work because we love work. We could enjoy our jobs, we could feel that they're great, but we go to work because we want money and we need that to live. We need to feel secure in the workplace and safe. And, but is, isn't that the issue that if manager X comes on to the employee, Aren't you worried about your job if it's once, even if it's just once? Yeah, so context matters. And this would ultimately be for the fact finder, meaning the judge or the jury, to determine the power dynamic and sort of what's at play there. Harvey Weinstein's a great example of these these victims were not perfect. We say this, you hear this a lot in the legal context that there are no perfect victims in sexual harassment cases. I mean, that was really complicated because the victims continued contact with Harvey Weinstein after the alleged rape or sexual harassment. Um, but the context that really matters here is the power dynamic. And that is right. up for the jury to decide. But in this case, it seems like they did decide that that power dynamic had a really important role to play in this. These women felt like they had no choice. And then that gets into was there retaliation? And that's right. where it's important. So if this is not reciprocal, I mean, a one-time proclamation of love is probably not legally actionable. But the fallout that can come after could be. Right, and in this case, in the case of Dan Harmon, what he said was that he, once she, once he made his proclamation and once she rejected him, she's like, look, you're my boss, I'm flattered or whatever she said, I'm not interested. Mm. He, her life became more problematic in the workplace. Okay. She, he openly admitted he didn't treat her well. He didn't say his nice things anymore. She felt uncomfortable at work. And eventually, the workplace became hostile. challenging, hostile. Yeah. 
when we're looking at that retaliation issue and it happens, how do you know when it's retaliation? How do you know when you're retaliating against someone who has uh, made a claim? Well, the important thing is, did the victim, I'm going to call them the victim or the person who's making the claim, did they make a claim? So typically that would mean reporting it to HR or just telling somebody about it. But they have to make it known, right, that there is a problem here. And it could be that they filed a charge with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or with the state AG's attorney mm -hmm. general's office. But once that has been released, that they are outwardly saying this is wrong and I'm uncomfortable, that's where retaliation can come into play. And if the, the manager in this case, Dan Harmon, says, well, now I'm going to make your life miserable because you've turned me down or you've made a claim against me, that gets into retaliation, which also can fall under hostile work environment. Right. So, yes, that could okay. be legally actionable. Okay. And it all comes down to what actually happened, right? The, the facts. And what a reasonable person would feel in her shoes okay. or his shoes, whoever is accusing. I want to talk about a little bit more about severe and I want to talk a little bit more about pervasive. Yeah. Because what I've seen in sexual harassment claims is it, it starts out for at one thing and it ends up somewhere else, yes. right? I mean, it, it starts out as the joke the joke guy yeah. and it ends up as something totally different, right? Yeah. yeah. And so what about sending flirty texts frequently to your subordinate? It depends, right. but that is probably not going to be illegal conduct. And if that's escalated to, say, an appropriate text with more graphic content. That certainly could be legally actionable. Yeah. And remember, it depends. Is this being reciprocated by the person receiving it? Are they uncomfortable? And sometimes they're uncomfortable and they don't let that be known. And that could matter, too. That gets into that power dynamic struggle. Right. Do they feel comfortable saying that this makes me uncomfortable or are they worried that if they do they will be retaliated against these all matter this is why it's really complex this is why you know i, I think um we uh, an employer just has to be in my personal opinion maybe you could offer yours an employer just has to be absolutely on the ball with this stuff they do because but, yeah you know this is your this is the workplace and you want this is a this is where the employer wants to make money, mm -hmm. and hopefully the employer is not the one doing the sexual harassing. But this is this is about economics for me. It's about doing the job. And when you have this sort of behavior, you really the person on the receiving end, in my opinion, really doesn't have an option that's easy. They don't have an easy option. I think that's right. I mean. They depend on the job, they depend on the work, they depend on the paycheck. It's a lot at stake. And if I go complain to about Boss X and say, hey, Mr. Creepy Back Rub Guy or Mr. Creepy Joke Guy, I'm not interested in you, that has consequences. It can. And what if the guy who's rubbing your back is the boss? Right. So this gets into another interesting legal question, which is, you have the supervisor, presumably, or the employee, or it could even be a contractor or an agent of the employer who is doing the harassment. Mm -hmm. At what point is the company liable or the right. head boss liable? And that gets into a whole other legal question. But generally speaking, the employer, the company, is liable for their supervisors, for anybody they really have control over. Um, 
certainly if it's a supervisor, but even if it's a coworker or even if it's a customer who's on their premises, if they knew or should have known about it. Okay, so what does the employer do to protect the employee and to protect the business? So there's a couple of things. From a legal standpoint, one way that the employer might not be liable if there is harassment is if they knew about it, they took corrective measures promptly, and the employee did not take advantage of those corrective measures. Okay. So that could be one way the employer is not liable. Have a policy in it's place. It's a defense. Right? Well, yeah, this, exactly. This would be, if we got to a lawsuit, this would be a defense that the employer would assert, which is, we knew about it, this is what we did to correct it, and we did it promptly, and it was a reasonable um, method to correct the problem, and the employee just didn't take advantage of it. We tried to help them, but they wouldn't take it. That would be a very viable legal defense. Now, if we want to take a step back, which is why I really went from the plaintiff side to the employer side of employment law, is employers need to be keenly aware of this in this day and age, no matter how big or small of a company they are, and they need to be cultivating a culture and policies from the get-go that make this a safe, welcoming work environment before we get to this point. I agree. That means vetting your employees. That means proper training. That means when you find, and I'm not necessarily a proponent of a no tolerance policy, but when you find out, and I've seen this many times, you've got a manager who's texting a subordinate, borderline inappropriate text, you nip that in the bud right away. You don't necessarily have to fire them. The facts matter. You need to do, you need to do a thorough investigation um, by somebody who is not biased. But, um, you know, sweeping these things under the rug is only going to generate a, a culture that is unhealthy, ultimately. Yeah, I tend to agree that culture matters. If the pe- person feels safe and if the employer takes action when something does, does happen, because we're humans, things are going to happen, right? Th- that, that's going to go a lot further to preventing workplace harassment than the policy itself. Where it gets really hard is when it's the Harvey Weinstein of the company who's doing the harassment or the Matt Lauer. Uh, you know, when, when you have these really high-powered people who really run the show and dictate a lot of other people's jobs, that's where companies fall into this pitfall of maybe they think they have the right policies in place, but they fall short because it's hard to do. Yeah. One of the things that I want to see employers do is, though, cultivate that that workplace how do how do they do this effectively how do they effectively do it without sounding paternalistic sure it's a good question and uh oftentimes it can involve it doesn't have to cost money in hiring an attorney although if you're a big enough company you probably should be consulting with an attorney certainly to make sure your employment manual or or whatever your policies are are in compliance with equal employment opportunity laws and and guidelines. Um, But it goes beyond just am I complying with the law, it's am I doing the right thing and am I guiding people in the right direction on this topic. Um, So certainly consulting with an attorney is a great idea, but not all companies have those resources. The EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which I've mentioned many times, is the kind of governing body on a federal level of all of these sexual harassment type claims. They have wonderful resources on their website. Now keep in mind, they are going to be coming at it from a very plaintiff-friendly perspective, but it is sort of the, um, the gold star of guiding principles 
when it comes to what is legal, what is not, how should companies be um, implementing policies that will help them stay in accordance with the law. I should say that you know, you're on the side of companies, and your job is to make sure that the company doesn't get in trouble. Correct. Preventative is is first and foremost your job, making sure that they don't go down a bad a bad road. And but as a victim, there's also attorneys out there for victims, and yes. that these victims have attorneys who could help them. A lot of times they're on contingency, and they'll help them if the claim is provable on that contingency basis to try to uh, gain some sort of uh, resolution for them that's typically monetary, unsatisfactory, mm-hmm. but typically monetary. Correct. Yeah, and, and then this gets into uh, you know, non-disclosure agreements if there is a lawsuit or a settlement. Yeah. Um, what, what is the right way to approach? Should we make the employee who has filed the claim sign something that says that they will not disclose this? I'm not going to comment on that because that's a whole other uh, can of worms. But yeah. but I would like to just backtrack a little and say that attorneys who represent companies aren't always just worried about let's do the bare minimum to avoid liability right. or lawsuits. It's also, I mean, I'm very passionate about helping companies create cultures that are ultimately a wonderful place for all people to work at. It's hard work, um, and it takes certainly – the desire from leadership from the top down to want that and and constantly be cultivating that in every person they hire and every business decision they make. And at the same time, they want to be a profitable business, you know, right. so there's a lot to balance. And um, not all employers are unimpeachable, but they are certainly doing their best. And, and that's that counts for something. But, um, yeah, it can be hard. Yeah. And and. Um and I know that about you, which is why I wanted to have you on, because you have that compass to help guide you, that moral compass on situations like this. Um, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is a really heavy subject. Yeah. And I really appreciate you coming and discussing it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, folks. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.